Hello and welcome into another episode of Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast. We're here to talk some hockey. I'm JJ Jerez, of course, of course with me today is Arif Dean. It's been a crazy day in the stock market, not sure if you followed any of that going on, Arif, or if you were able to make any money, but of course, like I said, we're here to talk some hockey, but you know, how, how about it? Did you uh, cash in at all on this crazy stock day? I didn't. I wish I got in on the GameStop stuff, you know, a little bit earlier. I would have definitely loved to jump in on that, but no, I was not one of the lucky ones, and I hope you were. Uh, not quite. I definitely have some friends that definitely banked, but, um, you know, we're just going to keep doing our thing and talk hockey while the rest of the world makes money. So let's get into it here. We got some avalanche hockey, um, you know, great avalanche hockey to discuss, at least. You know, last night was a we're recording here in between the two San Jose Shark games, and last night was a routing um, in game one, so that was good to see. But, you know, still just a, a tad over 500 so I guess let's start what have you done for me lately with the win and then in a little bit here we'll get into everything that's happened since our last podcast so what did you like from the avalanche yesterday in the 7-3 victory over the Sharks it's the fact that when they seem to get their feet going and they start to score they score in bunches and they did it against the Blues and then they did it again yesterday against the Sharks on Tuesday in the sense where one goal goes in, a second goes in, a third goes in. Even with an intermission break, it was the same exact thing as against uh, the St. Louis Blues a couple of weeks ago where it was uh, you know, going into a 20-minute intermission, coming out, still, you've got your foot on the gas, you're scoring more and more goals. I think the most fascinating thing about the seven goals they scored combined with those eight they scored against the Blues is it came in four consecutive periods. It was a four-goal second period. It was a four-goal third period. It was a three-goal first period, and then it was a four-goal second period this game. So it was four consecutive periods where they scored 15 goals. And and if you think of that number again, 15 goals in four periods, that's fascinating. So for me, it's the fact that this offense, once it gets going, you cannot stop it. Yeah, that's a good point. And I think we definitely saw the same thing against Arizona uh, during the playoffs in the bubble. It was kind of like one period they would just suddenly pop off and the game was over. You'd like to see them do it for all three periods, but, you know, I guess that's that's for later on in the podcast here when we break down the California road trip. Let's stick with the the win and the positivity here. We saw Valanchuskin get a goal. Wasn't exactly the prettiest goal, but sometimes all you need is that one to get the monkey off your back and... uh, he did, he did so. So maybe we'll see the floodgates open for Nichuskin. I doubt it, though. Well, you know, I I actually like the game he's been playing lately. So Val has done a really good job. He's done two things that he didn't do last year. Number one, he's throwing his body around. He's done a really excellent job of throwing his body around. He was doing it again yesterday. And, you know, he's a big, gigantic frame. He's about 6'4". He's over 200 pounds, but he never uses his body. And he's been using it lately, and I think that that's a really good thing moving forward because I think he's starting to realize he needs to be more physical. The second thing is that second power play unit that has has become just as good as the Avalanche's top unit, one of the more dominant units in the league, a lot of their success goes through Nichushkin standing in front of the net wreaking havoc. He takes the slaps, the, the the swipes and the jabs from the opposing goaltender, and he does an excellent job of keeping his body parked right there in the crease. He doesn't interfere with the goaltender, but it's leading to goals. So if you go back and look at those Gerard, uh, those two Devon Taves goals where he sets up, uh, where Gerard sets him up with a drop pass, both of those goals had Val Nichushkin's big ass body blocking the goaltender, and he did it again yesterday. He was doing it throughout the power play. Granted, it didn't score, 
but he was there the entire time wreaking havoc. And it was nice to see him sort of get rewarded. I mean, the power play goal, the shorthanded goal that he scored, he ultimately whiffed on the puck and it slid under the goaltender. <laughs> but he still went in and he was pressuring the defenseman. The defenseman obviously kind of lost control of the puck and Val picked it up. But that is, you know, a, a, a testament to his to his forechecking, to him being there ready to attack and, you know, taking advantage of a situation. That's what hockey is. It's a game of luck. It's a game of bounces. And he took advantage of a lucky situation. Yeah. After last podcast, when I absolutely ripped into him and you pointed out that, yeah, he was actually in front of the net on those two Devontae's goals. I, I went back and watched him and you're right. So I'd like to rescind a little bit of my hatred, yeah. but, you know, I don't want to completely give him all the credit because it's just one goal and it wasn't pretty, but you're right. He absolutely earned that goal. Um, my favorite part about it was after he scored the just the blank expression no happiness yeah. you know you're just like I think he's kind of frustrated with himself too but obviously the coaches see something in him many. he got to jump up to that second line for a little bit uh there during the Cali trip um so yeah I guess you gotta like what's going on there at least the direction it's heading not so much what it's done so far yeah, and I mean, kind of, it was the same thing last year. If you remember coming out of the Dallas Stars season where he was bought out by the Stars, he had that streak of, you know, God knows how many games it was 50, 60, 70 without a goal in the NHL. I believe it was his first 12 games with the Avalanche during the 1920 season where he didn't score. And he still ended up with pretty decent numbers. So it took him a minute to get going. And then once he got going, he kind of settled into the player that he is. He got a lot of Selkie Trophy votes. He got a lot of Selkie Trophy votes for being a great two-way forward as a winger, which you don't see in the NHL often. And, uh, you know, he started to take teams around the league, started to take notice of him as a pretty good depth option. And Colorado sort of created something out of nothing with him. So I'm not ready to say that he's going to be a long-term player and he's not going to go into another rut. But at the same time, this is kind of the same pattern we saw with him in the 1920 season. And I think it's going to be the same thing we see this year. Along with that, we saw some more scoring from not the top line. We saw two goals from Brandon Saad in the 7-3 win yesterday. Um, is he kind of resurrecting himself? Was it just a good game, right right place at the right time? Um, how, do you feel, how are you feeling about Brandon Saad? Do you think he's turned it around? I think he's getting more comfortable by the game. It's it's the same exact thing I mentioned last week about, about Nazem Kadri taking a few games to get comfortable with the Avalanche, and it's the same exact thing with Brandon Saad. He's looking more engaged by the game. He's looking more comfortable by the game. And when you come from another team, when you come from another system and you sort of start to get into the habits of one team and then switching over, obviously a lot of players switch over. A lot of players get traded and get signed to new clubs, but it's especially hard, like we've mentioned before, when every other forward on that team is a returning forward. It's a lot harder to do that. Granted, Kiefer Sherwood played yesterday. He was a new guy. But when you come into a team that's as good as that and you get not only added to this team, but added to the top six of an already dominant good team, it takes you a minute to sort of get in the swing of things and get in the groove. And yesterday he scored the exact type of goals that he's going to score this year. He's going to get in the dirty area. He's going to score in front of the net. He's going to be physical. He's going to be, you know, scoring those pesky goals that are not going to be necessarily highlight real goals, but the exact type of goals you need to win games. Yeah, I agree with that comfort. You could definitely see it. I mean, you know, for our listeners, the way you and I have been sharing the coverage of the team is a lot of times you've been covering the games because they're late at night, not exactly something I love. And I've been going to the morning skates and practices. And in those morning skates, especially the one before yesterday's game against San Jose, I could tell Saad 
feels a little bit more a part of the team. He's laughing more. He's smiling more with the guys. Him and Donskoy were actually just messing around practicing those type of goals right in front of the net. And it was funny to see him score because I saw him practicing that exact goal earlier that morning. So, um, yeah, it just looks like he's starting to fit in. So I'd love to see a continuation of this production. Obviously, I expect Nachuskin to find it, kind of fall off with the production. We need to see Saad keep going in this direction. And hey, I mean, at this point, he's got three goals in seven games. We've been talking a lot of, you know, a lot about him, and that's not a bad pace to be on. I mean, goal scorers are all streaky scorers. They put in five in three games, and then they go six games without a goal, and then they put in another five in a week, and then they go another four games. It's just the way it goes. It's just the way that this league is. Um, for someone like Brandon Saad, that could be the exact type of game that begins a stretch of goals, that begins a goal-scoring streak. Uh, or it could just be another game in the right direction of sort of getting in the groove and getting in the swing of things. But I firmly believe that that line is a great line. I tweeted it during the Anaheim line when Bednar did sort of blend the lines a little bit. I said, with Burakovsky coming back, Saad, Kadri, and Burakovsky should be playing together because they've only gotten one or two games of doing that before Berkey's injury. And he quickly shifted back to it later in that Anaheim game. And then yesterday it worked and uh, they played together the entire game. That trio works really well together and I think they should stay together. And uh, the pass from Burakovsky on that Saad goal, the one-timer goal, from between the, between the, the dots in the middle, was the exact type of play that those two guys can make. And it was very reminiscent of the type of plays that McKinnon and Ranton had make. There's just, it's great chemistry. It's good to have your two wingers engage like that. And that doesn't even include the fact that Nazem Kadri still is, you know, kind of in a slow start and is slowly also trying to start pick things, starting to pick things up as well. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. Maybe you should have had some smell salts too before <sighs> this one. Um, but yeah, I can't wait to, you know, till, the rules kind of loosen up a bit and we can both go cover games or both go cover morning skates together because this would have been a discussion we had at the rink, but instead we had it via text message yesterday. But along with the second line playing really well, I really like the way that fourth line played. And the reason I bring up our conversation via text message is because, as you know, we were figuring out together, okay, Matt Calvert's not on the ice. But I was also looking for who else was missing. And at first I'm like, is Tyson Jost out here or not? Because I see this one forward, he's little, he looks like Tyson Jost, but he's going really fast, his hands look really great, and this guy looks sharp. And then later we find out that Kiefer Shearwood is playing his first game in an Av sweater. On that line was Pierre-Edouard Bellemare. I really like the energy that that line brought. I mean, they got a lot of chances, too. I think Jared Bednar would agree with me because he kept throwing them out there and kept throwing them out there in, in pretty you know, pivotal moments, I would say. So I like the way Tyson Jost, Kiefer Shearwood, and Bellemare play together. So that brings me to this question, Arif. Is it not so much Tyson Jost doesn't fit that fourth line as much as that fourth line doesn't fit Tyson Jost? Because I think you have something really special in Tyson Jost. And if you could put guys that are maybe a little bit suit, more suited for his skills, like Kiefer Shearwood, or, you know, I think Bellamare kind of compliments the other two nicely, maybe he can really pick things up and turn things around himself. You're, you're not wrong at all. And the thing is, this is the exact conversation we've been having since before the trade deadline last season, which, crazy enough, is almost a year ago now. Since the trade deadline, since Nemesnikov was acquired and the, the conversation quickly shifted to, who's the 13th forward? It's Tyson Jost. It comes back to the point that, and I know a lot of people love him, and he's got skill and he's a good player. He just doesn't seem to have a spot on this team. 
and it brings me back to that every single time. And I know you can talk about guys like Giannis Danskoy, and you can talk about guys like Valerie Nichushkin and say, hey, how are you going to commit to these guys and not to Tyson Jost? Well, the reality is, if you replace, and when you do eventually replace a Donskoy or a Nichushkin, or maybe both, which is probably going to happen over the next few years, the reality is you're not going to replace them with a younger, with, not a younger, but with a smaller skilled forward. You're going to replace them with more powerful uh, two-way physical presence, bigger bodies. Those are the kind of guys that you need. So the reality is it comes back to this. Tyson Jost just doesn't seem to have a spot on this team. And at first it was him that was hindering the Avalanche's development because he did rush into the NHL. He should have played a second year at North Dakota, maybe even a third year. He did rush into the NHL. He was slotted to be that number two center behind uh, Nathan McKinnon. And then the Avalanche went and acquired Kadri because Jost never panned out. But now it's gotten to the point where Jost is slowly starting to become a good NHLer. But the Avalanche are hindering on his development, through not through their own fault, through the fault that there just isn't a spot for him on this team anymore. And it always comes back to that for me is the fact that similar to Zadorov, I've been talking about the fact that Tyson Jost likely doesn't have a spot on this team in the future. And I still truly believe that. I'm not by any means bashing the game he plays. I don't think he's not a valuable piece. I just think for what he is, the Avalanche don't have a spot for him. And and it's likely going to be a, a situation where once Jost eventually does move on, we're going to see him be a little bit more productive and we're going to say, God, I wish we had that here. Well, we did. We just we also had a Nazem Kadri. We also had all these other players that were taking up time. I get it. You're just kind of saying he missed his window to cease. That Literally, position. that's what it is. I mean, even the beginning of last season, the 1920 season, the very first podcast you and I recorded together, Tyson Jost was playing on the wing with Burakovsky and Kadri. And look where that's gone now. He couldn't take advantage of multiple opportunities. And now that he has sort of developed into a good player, they went out and acquired Brandon Saad. They went out and signed this guy named Val Nachushkin for $700,000, and he became a decent NHL. They brought in Donskoy. They traded for Nazem Kadri. They traded for Burakovsky. Ranton and Landeskog are still chugging along. Belmar is a fourth-line center even. Calvert is you know, playing at a 40-point pace last year. It's gotten to the point where... The only position for Tyson Jost is to be the replacement for Matt Nieto. And if he can't fill that role, which, you know, I said from the beginning, it just didn't seem like the right kind of role for him. There's just no spot for him on this team. Yeah, it's just unfortunate because I like what I'm seeing. I like where he's going. I mean, yeah, I'll, I and I'll, you know, of course, it could be skewed because a lot of times I am seeing him in two on ones or, you know, two on O's or three on twos, you know, with with a, a odd man rush. But I'm liking what I'm seeing, and I feel like I've repeated this a few times, so forgive me if you hate how much we repeat things, but you can pinpoint exactly when Tyson Jost flipped a switch, and that was right before last year's trade deadline, right? Suddenly, it was right after. Was, okay, maybe right the day of the trade deadline. He was like, all right, I'm still on this team. They didn't trade me. I need to start playing a different style of game to really stick around, and I think he's done so, and, and with that, he's also developed a lot more skill. So, you know, we'll, let's see the direction he goes. But, you know, I'm liking what I'm seeing right now. Yeah, and I agree with that. It's just a matter of when this team gets fully healthy. If you remember when we came back uh, from the pause, going into the bubble, the very first story I wrote that day, the first day of training camp, was Tyson Jose is the 13th forward. Because back in March, when the trade deadline happened, when Nemesnikov was acquired, Kadri was injured, and Rantanen was injured, and then McKinnon got hurt, and Makar was in it. Well, Makar's a defenseman, but all these guys were in and out of the lineup. Burakovsky was another one. 
So Tyson Joe still had a spot on the team and Martin Kaut was playing and there was a lot of depth guys in the lineup. When the bubble, when the NHL returned for the for the bubble training camp, phase three training camp, Tyson Jost was the 13th forward because Nemesnikov had solidified his role on that third line and Donskoy was on the second line and uh, there was just no spot for him. Well, now that the Avalanche have injuries, he's starting to pick up his game, but it comes back to the same situation we had with Ian Cole on defense. When the Avalanche are healthy, is there a spot for him here? And I understand you don't want to just give him away because depth matters and you need those depth pieces, but similar to Ian Cole, is Tyson Jost the kind of guy you want to be scratching seven or eight or nine times every you know 10 to 12 games, or is he the type of player that needs to be an everyday NHLer? To me, he needs to be an an NHLer every day, not just for his sake, for the fact that if he's someone that's playing one or two games a month, he's not going to be productive. He's not going to develop. He's still a young player. He needs the playing time. He needs the opportunity. It reminds me a lot of, and we'll probably get into this later, Jack Roslovic with the Winnipeg Jets, who just wasn't getting an opportunity. He wasn't getting that opportunity with the Jets. He's now been traded to the Columbus Blue Jackets. He's going to get that opportunity. Jets are going to act like they're going to kick themselves like, oh, we may have let someone go. But the reality is, with all the guys they have there, now with Dubois, and they had Mark Shifley, and they had all these skilled players, and they acquired Paul Stassi, there just wasn't a spot for Jack Roslovic. And it's the same exact thing with Jost. And it also makes it tough that every time he does get the opportunity, Tyson Jost, that is, that he you know, doesn't exactly live up to expectations and he gets banned back to the fourth line again. But I loved that fourth yeah. line last night and I'd like to see more of it. Uh, yeah, and for, for the time being, I think they should keep going and, and it's if it works, it works. That's all you need is to just win one game at a time. Yeah, and, you know, obviously, hopefully... Calvert recovers soon from whatever's ailing him, but yeah, I like Calvert's had a good season. It's just he he hasn't been able to finish, and a lot of I mean a lot of Avalanche players haven't been able to finish and execute and and score those goals. But it's not without lack of you know it's not because of a lack of effort or lack of goals. The thing with Tyson Jost, and you know this is the last thing I'll say on him. He seems like the perfect type of player, kind of like Tyler Sagan in Boston, where maybe he wins a cup with the Avalanche as nothing more than just like a depth throw in piece. And then goes on to have a career somewhere. Not saying that he's going to be a Tyler Sagan $9 million first line center, but he's going to go and solidify his roster spot on a different team after winning a cup. Kind of like Burakovsky in Washington is a better example. Let's transition over to somebody who can finish. And that's mm-hmm. Miko Rantanen, who currently leads the My lead league in goals. He's scored in every single game except the opener. Um, and that's, you know, I think he's been missing a lot of nets too. I honestly think he could have three, maybe four more goals if he could just hit the net a little bit better. But you, you love what you're seeing from Miko Rantanen, and you love the production, obviously. And the funny thing is about it, you can still tell that Nathan McKinnon is pissed off that he's not scoring as much, but it's because Rantanen is finishing those goals. Rantanen is getting set up by McKinnon. And yes, he does currently lead the NHL in goals. He's tied with Max Pacioretty. They're the only two guys to have six. And the fact that he scored in six straight games for me is 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 crazy because Miko Rantanen was never the guy that would score that we thought would be, you know, on pace to score 35, 45 goals in a season. He was always someone that was a little bit less, maybe 30, maybe 25 goals. Granted, it's a 56 game season, but who's to say, I mean, he's already at six and we're seven games in. He's got 49 more games. He scores 23 goals in those 49 games or 24 goals in those 49 games, which is not out of the equation. He could hit 30 in a 56 game season. So as soon as you start to pick up those goals early, you start to realize that these, 
these paces are not that far off. And for a player that, you know, we always used to tout as like a, maybe a 25 to 35 goal scorer and 50, 60 assists, he might suddenly be one of the top goal scorers in the NHL rather than top point getters. Yeah, I mean, that one-timer he's working with is just lethal right so now. Beautiful. You just got to get the puck around him somewhere. You know, he'll drop that knee down and he'll get his stick on it and he'll roof that some yeah. at SOB. <laughs> um, you, so, can, you can swear. We've done it. You're right. We made the transition to being a swearing podcast, and I like that. But, um, yeah, you, you love to see it. I mean, that, that's something that they work on all the time is those one-timers, and he by far has the best. So I can easily see, you know, a year or two from now, once the rest of the league starts to get noticed, that they start nicknaming that opposite circle on the power play the Miko spot. Because, yes. you know, of course, the other, other one's the Ovechkin spot. I think Miko's just as lethal from the other yeah. circle. And I love that he does it on his off wing. He goes down to the one knee. It's very Brett Hullian of him. Uh, and it's, you know, kudos to Miko Rantanen. Six goals and a goal in six straight games is is an impressive feat. And the Avalanche have gone, you know, we keep talking about them being a little bit over 500. They've gone four and two over the last six games. It's not, not the best because they could have won those other two games or at least one of them, the one they blew against the Kings. But at the same time, it's still a pretty decent record over six games. Four and three, right? Well, yeah, for, I'm saying the last six oh, games they're gotcha, 4-2 gotcha, after gotcha. opening night. You're, you're wiping op- opening night. From pull it together, JJ. Pull it together. I, I didn't realize that you were just not counting a game as a, as a league game. Well, so. Yeah, it's the game he didn't score, so I'm just going to pretend it didn't happen. He's got 6-6. <laughs> six and six. He's scoring at a one goal per game pace. Gotcha. Um, with that, Kale McCarr obviously uh, also adding some tallies to the point total. He's doing it quietly, I would say. You know, obviously, yeah. not, not a lot of goals being scored, but he's got eight points right now on the season. Yeah, and he's leading the NHL defenseman in scoring, in point scoring with eight points. And it's crazy we're not talking about him. And I and I have noticed that. Even going into yesterday, I'm like, hey, Kale's been a little quiet this season because we've talked a lot about Devon Taves. He's got three goals on the season already. He's gone off to a great start with his new team. By the way, Devon Taves has 14 career goals. Three of them have come in the last week and a half with the Avalanche. That's that's mind-boggling to me. Uh, we're talking about Sam Gerrard because we feel I feel like Sam Gerrard, we all feel like Sam Gerrard has taken that next step in his game. He's a lot more confident. He's a lot more skilled. He's making more plays. He's doing a great job running a power play. He just looks like he's become a sustainable force in the league. And then, oh, by the way, those are two and three behind number one, Kel McCarr, who suddenly puts up three assists last night quietly, has eight points. Yeah, he doesn't have any goals yet, and he probably would want a few goals on there. But he's still leading the NHL defenseman in scoring. And, uh, you know, to his standards, it's a slow start. So there's only, you know, it's only going up from here. Yeah, you mentioned Devon Taves. I would say that's the second best one-time shooter on the team. What he's, a guy. He's, he's ripping it's a Yeah, man. And yesterday he put it right into a wide open net. But hey, you got to be in those positions to t- to get those goals. And he's he seems to be there lately. And I feel like in years past, any other Avalanche player would have sent that over the net. Eric Johnson would have put it into the glass. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, well, that's all from last night's game. Hopefully, they can replicate that moving forward to tomorrow. I mean, obviously, it's just San Jose. We knew they were going to be a weaker team, so you'd like to see them do this some more like they did against St. Louis, but you, you love to see the high-scoring affair. So, um, you know, feeling good about things, which I'm glad we waited to do this podcast until we were feeling good about things because looking back at the a- Avalanche road trip in California wasn't so hot. You know, last podcast I wrapped it up with saying they cannot, absolutely not, come back to Colorado 3-3, three and three, and that's exactly what they did. So what happened in Cali? What went wrong? They just seemed... 
I don't want to say uninterested, but it was dull hockey. The hockey was very dull. And the, the funny thing is about saying that is that game against the Ducks, they outshot them. I think it was 31 to 15. They did not allow a shot on goal against Grubauer in the entire third period. The only shot the Anaheim Ducks in that had in that third period was the empty net goal. So it was a very funky performance. Obviously, John Gibson stood on his head, but something about it, that fire wasn't there. And it was one of those things where I kept thinking to myself, if there was a crowd, even though it's the away team, if there's a crowd, maybe that'll start to pick them up. Maybe that'll start to give them that little motivation, that extra kick. But it just seemed like very dull hockey. It almost seemed like you were watching an EA Sports NHL game where the players are, you know, these these computer AI players are going the same speed the entire time. There is no human element to it. And that's kind of what it felt like the entire California road trip. Sometimes they go in, sometimes they don't, but there was no elevation of game like there was yesterday at home. It's like washing a, watching a washing machine, right? Just one yeah. color go this way, the other color go that way. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think I'll credit it to the defensive systems run by both those teams. Because yeah, Gibson played great, not discrediting that at all. But I say it all the time, it takes six players to play goalie. Yeah. So I think the defensive group and the defensive structure in front of him really helped. And I think it was a page taken out of the, the Kings book. I mean, the Kings we know are kind of a slower, heavier team. And defensively, when you have a team like that, your strategy is to keep it tight in the defensive zone. Let them play around on the perimeter, but don't let them attack the, the house, right? The most dangerous scoring part of the ice. And I think that's exactly what, what you saw. You saw the Avalanche have a lot of skill, dipsy do, flip a roo on the perimeter of the offensive zone, but they couldn't quite attack the, the, the net and they couldn't attack the dangerous areas. So, um, you know, I. I Part of me thinks that's a lack of effort and a lack of, you know, I guess, hockey IQ in, in noticing and adapting. Part of me just wants to credit that to the defensive systems run. I mean, these are NHL players run by NHL coaches. They know how to adjust and they know how to play a team that outskills them. And that's the thing about the Avalanche. You know, it's, it's just funny to think where we are now as as media members covering the Avalanche and, you know, as Avalanche fans that are going to be listening to this podcast where – we're talking about the Avalanche being off to a poor start, opening night aside. And I know we just made a joke about me pretending that game didn't happen because it was a pretty brutal game all around. Opening night aside, we're talking about the Avalanche not looking good because they won a couple games in California by one goal or two goals. And they lost a couple games by one goal and with an empty netter by two goals. And uh, they didn't come out and put up five or six or seven goals. Like they're not losing five to two. They're not going into California and getting shut out three to nothing. The very, you know, the things that were normal. It just seemed like these games, and I and I talked about this with Mike Chambers after every loss. Every single loss just seemed like a that was a good loss and a learning loss. That was a loss you learned from. That was a loss that takes you in the right direction. If you're the St. Louis Blues and you had that eight nothing loss against the Avalanche, you just have your hands up like, what the fuck just happened like i there is nothing we can take from this game if you're the san jose sharks who scored the first goal and then let in a touchdown in 17 minutes the avalanche had seven goals in i think it was 18 minutes and 46 seconds is when they scored their seven goals which is less than a period of hockey you're the san jose sharks you don't come out of that and say okay so this is what we can learn from no you scrap the damn thing with the avalanche it was a learning process throughout that road trip they were losing games and i i'm kind of picturing peter McNabb right now on altitude going it's a process like he always likes to say and it's a process is what it is it's it's 
you're learning that number one, even though you are this big skill team, you still need to put in the work. And Jared Bednar has said that before, just because we're this new team where we're no longer the underdog, we're favored and we're expected to win. It doesn't mean we can sit back and expect the wins to come to us. But every single game, it was running into a hot goaltender. It was slowly building. It was outshooting a team 10 to nothing in the third period before an empty net goal. It just seemed like good losses to have early in the season. And 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 I'll tell you the exact same thing I told someone else leading into last night's game against the San Jose Sharks. Every team at one point or another during the season is going to go through a 3-3 three and three stretch. The difference is the Avalanche did it early. They're not the Vancouver Canucks who are 2-5 and five at one point. They're not the Edmonton Oilers or the Calgary Flames that are losing big games by a lot of goals right away. They're not the Columbus Blue Jackets that had the whole Dubois thing hovering over their head and they were like 1-2-2 two, and two to start the season. They're 3-3. Three and three. And everybody's going to go through a 3-3 three and three stretch. And the Avalanche are also going to go through a, eventually an 8-2 and two stretch and a 7-2-1 and one stretch and a 7-3 and three stretch. There's one positivity I'm going to take out of California. They won a damn game in overtime. The first yeah. one, and they <laughs> actually won it. So that, to me, was a good step in the right direction. The Anaheim Ducks kept them on their heels. They didn't come away running away with a victory. They didn't even look good in that overtime because the Ducks had the puck for the first minute and a half. And then suddenly Gibson tries to pass it through center. McCarr steals it. Landis Cox scores. It's over. So now they're 1-0 and in overtimes, which is not even something they could do a year ago. I just don't think that they're looking like a hands-down Stanley Cup favorite. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we're in trouble here. Yeah, not yet. I'm not saying that they're at risk of missing the playoffs. I just don't think what I'm seeing is a Stanley Cup team. And, you know, I don't know if you got the chance to hear Barry Trotz's comments, post-game comments after yesterday, but he basically called out his team and saying, look, this is a shortened season. It's a, it's playoff intensity every single game, and we're not giving that playoff intensity. We're just kind of you know expecting things to happen and that's I felt like he was taught he could have easily been talking about the avalanche because it was the exact same thing you know if if you haven't heard it definitely check out the quote after this podcast because you, you can relate it directly to the avalanche and the cool thing about that is the Islanders are kind of in that similar situation. Two seasons ago, the Islanders kind of shocked everybody when they made the playoffs after getting rid of John, after John Tavares left and went to Toronto. And then they went through and they swept, they didn't sweep, they beat the Capitals in seven and then they got swept by the Hurricanes. And then they came in this year. No, sorry, they swept the Penguins. And then they got swept by the Hurricanes. And then they came in this year, they did the exact same thing. They won the first round series, they beat the Flyers in game seven. They took the, you know, they gave the Tampa Bay Lightning everything they had. So now coming into this season, the New York Islanders, their mind shifted. We're no longer that team that's going to catch anybody off guard. We are a good team and we expect to be a good team and people expect us to be a good team. And that mindset shift really does a lot for a team. And it's the exact same thing that I just said Bedner mentioned about the Avalanche. This is what the 1995 Quebec Nordiques went through when they sort of rolled through the regular season, lost in the first round of the playoffs, came to Denver history wrote itself then so it's kind of this weird transition the Blackhawks had the same exact thing happen to them in 2009 they made it to the third round they lost to the Detroit Red Wings came back in 2010 and won the Stanley Cup I'm not saying the Avalanche are not going to win the cup this year or they're gonna you know have to have a learning moment like that they could have very well had that the last two seasons but when you shift from being the underdog to a favorite it kind of takes it, it sort of gives you this mindset of we're gonna win just because we are the better team and you have to sort of get over that hump. And the Islanders and the Avalanche are kind of both doing that right now. Honest question. I know they run a, a much tighter defensive scheme, but which goaltender would you rather have right now? Semyon Varlamov or Philip Grubauer? I think I asked you that a couple weeks ago. 
just something to think about because I think Varley's having way too good of a season for us to just be okay. Varley's with having that a move. good. So here's the thing. Philip Grubauer, I am a lot more comfortable in him going on a run of 15, 16, 17 straight games and playing well and winning 13 of them, which is exactly what he did in the 18-19 season to get the Avalanche into the playoffs. The reason why I might lean Grubauer right now, granted Varley's playing in a different system right now, is that Varley Varley's not someone you can count on to play 10 straight games in a row. He's never been that guy. But he's the goalie that if you give up 40 shots, he will win. Grubauer's the opposite. He needs less shots. He needs more of a team effort, which is what the Avalanche can give him now. And he's also someone that if you need him to play 10, 11, 12 straight games, which, you know, by the way, might eventually happen because Francis is nowhere to be found, he can give you that. I'm more worried, and I know they're both injury-prone, but I would be more worried about Varley's groin issues and him falling into an injury issue rather than I am with Grubauer. So it's it's a really hard question to answer. Um, I'm just going to preface it by saying, and I'm not prefacing it because I'm saying this at the end of my comment, that I'm happy for Varley. He's doing a hell of a job. I was super shocked when the Islanders gave him a four-year, $20 million deal. I think we all were. But, hell, he's playing his ass off. He had a shutout in his first two games, and then in his third game, he surrendered one goal and won. He was 3-0 with one goal against. Hell yeah, dude. Stick taps to Varley. Uh, it just his time was here was over. It was it just the injury issues never ended, and he needed to work with somebody like Mitch Korn, Mitch Korn in New York. And he's gotten that now, and he's doing a great job. To answer your question, I don't know. It's, it's a hard – I can see both sides of it. Very diplomatic of you, I guess. <laughs> I'm, I'm just, you know, giving the people what it's they like, want. I'm never going to trash. I feel like half of our listeners, if you trash Varley, are going to be like, go to hell, screw this <laughs> podcast. But at the same time, Groovy's our guy right now. So we got to give him some love too. You it's know? like when you ask any NHL or a question and you give them two options, like, what do you attribute that more to? Was that? And it, they respond to, oh, every for sure. Time, is the answer, every single every answer is, oh, I think, a, I think it was both. Right. Never give them the option. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's that. Yeah, it's kind of like when you ask an NHLer, like, hey, you've been scoring a lot. And he goes, yeah, you know, I'm getting lucky. My teammates are passing me. Yeah, no shit. Your teammates are passing you the puck. Where is it going to fall from? The sky? Obviously, it's coming from their stick to yours. Like, come on, take some credit, Ranton. And you scored six straight games. Moving on, on a couple other things that happened in the four-game California trip, there is the power play just wasn't as reliable as it was in the first group of games. Suddenly, yeah. in the four games in California, they were two for 12 um, it, it not so much that it was non-existent, but it just kind of regressed to more of a, a normal mean, right? I mean, they it was yeah. just so ridiculously powerful, especially from that second St. Louis game, that you had to imagine that those numbers were gonna fall back a little bit. Yeah, you're not gonna score six goals in every two game. I mean, you're 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 rarely you're gonna go through phases where you don't even score six goals in general over two games, let alone six power play goals over two games. So, two for twelve is not a huge concern. Um, I think it's a good thing that they've offset it with the fact that they are doing great on the power play. Uh, they haven't let in a power play goal in 11 tries at home. I don't remember what their streak was in California, but their penalty their penalty kill has sort of offset the fact that their penalty, power play wasn't really clicking. Um, Which is good because that was something we mentioned that was struggling. Exactly, yeah. They were struggling with five-on-five five goals. Put it this way. They had eight five-on-five five goals. Not five-on-five, five, sorry, even strength because the, the overtime goal was a three-on-three three and that counts. They had eight even strength goals through the first six games. They had five yesterday against the Sharks. 
They had one shorthanded goal, and then they had one power play goal, the Donsk and Chushkin goals. But they had five even strength goals in one game after having eight through the first six games, which was a little bit puzzling for a team that led the league in five-on-five scoring last year. So it's just sort of they're starting to get a groove, and they're starting to play better together. I mean, what that said to me was, I mean, when you're on the power play, you don't really need as much chemistry. It's just a matter of you have one, you know, you have the man advantage. You have that manpower that you can sort of, get through the fact that players might not be as comfortable with each other. But at five on five, the sods of the world were still trying to get comfortable and McKinnon Ranton and were were doing well in Landeskog. But that third and fourth line was kind of being juggled because of injuries. Burkowski was in and out, Tyson Jose, Calvert, you know, there's a lot of shifting in those lines. So what five power what five even strength goals in one game says to me is people are starting to settle into their roles and that's going to be a good thing moving forward. And and then also in the uh, California game, we saw Ryan Graves get a scratch, which was a bit unexpected. Not if you kind of pay attention closely to the struggles he he's shown in his play, but uh, you know I don't think that was someone we expected to get scratched so early. Yeah, he he just he hasn't looked good. <laughs> he he didn't look good. Uh, he didn't look good yesterday either. He took two penalties in the third period. We asked Jared Bednar about him, and he said that. You know, after all the positivity of his press conference, Jared Bednar said, I'm going to be honest with you, I'm not really happy with the game Ryan Ryan Graves had today. Uh, I think Ryan Graves has playing himself out of the, and I'm going to use these words carefully because I'm not giving up on Ryan Graves. I think he's playing himself out of the definite playing every single game category into the I'm going to be a part of the players that can be scratched on some nights and played on some nights. And that's not with every team it would happen, but with this year's Avalanche team, in order to be played every night, you need to be Makar, you need to be Taves, and you need to be Gerard. And if you've noticed, I kept Eric Johnson out of that group because those are the only three guys that deserve to be in the lineup every single night right now. Eric Johnson's only played one game, and obviously he 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 had a slap shot that was tipped in for a goal. So... He could work himself back into that equation. But as of right now, the Avalanche have so many options and so many weapons on defense that if you start to fall behind, somebody else is going to play. This is no longer the team where your number seven defenseman is Kevin Kanaan. And if you're Ian Cole, it's like, there's no way they're going to play Kanaan over me. Understandably so. But that that time is long gone now. It's it's a different team now. Yeah, there's the fact is there's eight capable bodies so you know they're gonna have to play the six best and it's that simple i this is i'm not gonna spend a lot of time on this i promise because it's an eight and nine conversation but right now number eight to me is dennis gilbert and number nine is greg patterin but that's another thing is dennis gilbert's another option you know that matt duchene on defense because he wears number nine and was confusing the shit out of me but he's also a pretty good player like i said this last podcast dennis gilbert may very well be better than zadorov but let's not get into that part of the defense core. Let's talk about the top guys. <laughs> right. So with that, uh, we've seen a, a myriad of different defensive combinations so far already in this short season. So with that, what's been your favorite six and how they've lined up in, in the games Jared Bednar's used so far? I don't think I've seen the exact pairing I want to see yet, but I will tell you which has been my favorite so far and which one I'd like to see. Yesterday's was my favorite. Johnson and Grace together to me, is an amazing pairing to have because you have Makar and Taves who are your two, you know, middle-sized guys that can play a 200-foot game. You have Byram and Gerard who are your smarter hockey IQ, smaller defensemen playing on the same pair. And then, hey, if you mess around, we're going to throw out these two towers, you know, the vending machine and the washer, 
you know, Eric Johnson and Ryan Graves, and they're going to, I don't know what the hell that was. They're going to go out there and they're going to beat the <laughs> shit out of you. Granted, Graves played a bad game. So that's the pairing I've liked the most so far, the the sixth pair. What I would like to see is Connor Timmons back with Gerard, because Connor Timmons and Sam Gerard look really good together when they play together. And then on the third pair, I would like this to be a definitive pair of Eric Johnson and Bowen Byram, because there's no better player for Bowen Byram to learn from and to play with and to lean on than your veteran assistant captain, former first overall draft pick who can cover for you defensively. And yes, that leaves Ryan Graves out of the equation. And that's why I said I'd like the third pair to be definitive because I'd like to see Byram and EJ playing together constantly. I'd like to see McCarr and Tace playing together constantly. And Timmons and Grave can be those two guys that sort of are in and out. Granted, there's going to be a lot of nights where the 19-year-old kid doesn't get first dibs and you can play Timmons and Graves and sit Byram. And obviously injuries are going to happen. But next game, that's what I would like to see. I just love the Devontae-Sam Gerrard combination so much. I know Devontae is worthy of a first pairing role, but I just like the way they work together. I'd like to see that stick. Problem is, you don't really have anybody at that point to throw next to Makar if you do yeah. that. So Give it time. Byram will grow into that role. Yeah, I would love to see that. That's where I was going to go is I'd love to see a byram Makar, but obviously it's too early to, to put that kind of expectations on Byram. But just thought it'd be a fun it's, little combo. It's just crazy to see carousel. where this team is. Yeah, it's just crazy to see where the defense on this team is gone. And they have a kid in 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 uh, in the states that just won a World Junior Championship gold. And Drew Hellison, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be in any other by any means. But he looked pretty good playing on their top pair alongside uh, Jake Anderson, Jake Sanderson. And uh, you know, you still have Dennis Gilbert down there. It's 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 they have these riches in every position right now, minus the goaltending. Enough of uh, looking backwards. We're not headed that way. Let's start to look forwards and uh, at the series ahead. I mean, obviously, we still have a San Jose game coming up, and we have back-to-backs against the Minnesota Wild, but we've got some injuries starting to pile up and starting to um, affect the team, as we touched on earlier in the show. So let's start with Fransuz. It really seems like this injury is serious, and you know, this really puts the avalanche in a predicament that we were praying to the hockey gods during the offseason that it wouldn't put them in but it's yeah real quick not sure if you got to hear Nathan McKinnon on spit and chicklets recently but he kind of gave the the um the news that it's a hip injury and if it's a hip I'm worried for Francis because I think the only way to repair that is surgery like we saw with Varley and that that's going to take him out for a while so what's go what what do we do with the goaltending situation Arif you can't rely on Pavel Francis this season he hasn't played a game yet, and he's already out. This is after a long summer. This is after the long pause and had take coming out of the pause. He played well in the bubble to start, and then he got hurt. It was the hip issue that McKinnon was talking about, and he kind of shit the bed against Dallas, understandably so, because he was hurt. And the long offseason didn't help. The long pause didn't help. It looks like he's likely going to have to have surgery. You can't rely on him. That's just the way that I see it. And even when he does come back, how many games is he going to play before he falls back down to injury? Which sucks because Pavel Francis is a hell of a goalie. He proved it last year during the regular season that he's a very valuable and he's a very consistent piece. But in the bubble and leading up to, you know, from then till now, it just seems like these hip issues are starting to really get the best of him, assuming that's what's hurting him now. But it seems like the most likely scenario because why else would a goalie get hurt at practice and suddenly be day to day? And now it's, you know, I asked Jared Bednar about it a couple of days ago and he said, and I asked him if, if, Fran, if there's an update on Fransuz and 
if he's going to be back anytime soon in the foreseeable future. And he said no, and then he said no on both counts. So he's there is no update on him. His day-to-day is suddenly he's out for the foreseeable future. The Avalanche play the Wild back-to-back Saturday, Sunday. And then they host the Wild, and then next weekend they play the Blues back-to-back Saturday, Sunday on the road. Suddenly, Hunter Miska is going to play two of the next five games. Yikes. Yikes is all I have I'd to assume that. that. Yeah. And and he didn't look terrible in the first game, but then again, you know, this is what kind of, you know, I, I saw a lot of people on Twitter. I, I can't remember the exact names, but shout out to my followers who had a long conversation about the Hunter Miska thing. It's not necessarily that he played bad last game. Uh, he played fine. The Avalanche may have won if it was Grubauer, but he played fine. It's just a matter of, it's just a matter that it kind of reminds me of Adam Werner. He came in his first game in the NHL. He had a hell of a showing. He came in after 30 seconds. I think it was Francouz went down with an injury. He came in. He, quote, shut out the Winnipeg Jets. He didn't get credited with the shutout because he played 1931 instead of 20 minutes. Then the next game, Connor McDavid put six points on him in a period and a half. And that's kind of the thing with these unproven goaltenders. Something like that could flip on a dime. It could happen that quick. So if, let's say, Grubauer plays tomorrow night on Thursday and wins, and then let's say Saturday they go to Miska first to give Grubauer the second of the back-to-back, and Miska comes in and has a terrible 5-1 to game, now you're like, shit, now we have to play Grubauer, but the rest of our team's on a back-to-back. And now next weekend we play the Blues, and how do we play Miska against the Blues if he couldn't handle the Wild? So suddenly your confidence in your number three goalie goes from 100 down to zero pretty damn quick. And I don't want to say I spoke this situation and this issue into existence, but I spoke this goddamn thing into existence. I've been writing about it and talking about it all summer, all off season. I had my roommate, who is the Avalanche beat reporter at the Denver Post, tell me you're making a big story out of something that's not that big a deal. And then I looked at him the other day and said, is it a big deal now? And he said, yes. I said, thank you. Yeah. It's a very big deal. Take it from me as a goalie who has a bad hip from years of goaltending. It doesn't go away. It lingers and lingers and lingers, and you can't play better than 75% of what you're capable of. So it has to be a surgery. I think he's done for the season. If it's if it's his hip, as Nathan McKinnon says, uh, or said on Spitting Chicklets, and if that's what's still bothering him, he's done and you absolutely have to find a replacement because Miska just is not capable of handling this. I'm sorry. Like I hate to rip on the guy and he's only really had one showing and it wasn't even that terrible. But uh, you know, from what I've seen at practice, from what I've seen in, in his one game, he's not an NHL capable goalie. I'm sorry. And I agree. And that's, 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 there's no way to sugarcoat it. That's just the way I see it. That's the way I saw it coming into this. I mean, I agree with that with Adam Werner too. And this is the strange thing about the Werner situation is in the offseason when I first asked Joe Sackick about this, the very first time this was a story for me when Hutchinson signed with Toronto, it was, we want Adam Werner to be a part of this. We want him to play a role. Adam Werner is nowhere to be, well, he's not nowhere to be found. He practiced with the team today. But Hunter Misko was the first guy they turned to. He was the first guy they turned to at the bubble. Why aren't they going to Adam Werner? Right. I don't even think they're not convinced that, that Adam Werner is an AHL yeah, goalie. Yeah, not, not that I think Adam Werner is the answer, but it's just weird how it kind of shifted to Hunter Miska being the number three on this team. The Avalanche need a number three goalie. Uh, the New Jersey Devils have Blackwood and Wedgwood, and then they went out and picked up Aaron Dell. Uh, if Scott Wedgwood gets on the block, that could be an option. Aiden Hill in Phoenix or Arizona, whatever. Phoenix Copley and uh, 
not Arizona Copley, but Phoenix Copley out in Washington, someone who's a little bit more established as an NHL, or dare I say Michael Hutchinson, someone who can help you a little bit more than Hunter Miska likely will this season. It's got to be frustrating in New Jersey because knowing hockey nicknames, right? They're probably like, they got hey, two Woody. Woods. And you got Scott, you got Wedgwood and Blackwood. Yeah, they got so, Wedgie. So they yeah, got Wedgie was, and yeah. Blackie. Then you got Wedgie and Blackie, and I don't think either of those names are very appropriate for an NHL <laughs> locker room. So um, you, you got to get rid of one of your Woodies, I guess. Uh, yeah. Avalanche are a great place for that. Um, yeah, last <laughs> thing I really want to get to is, uh, you know, looking at the, at this next game, which, you know, listeners are probably listening. That game's tonight. You know, they're probably listening tomorrow morning here since we're recording Wednesday evening. Um, but, you know, we saw game one get chippy. And so I, I'm excited. I hope there's a lot more chippiness in game two. But I think this is a, a big prove it game for the Avalanche because they've lost one game in every series. Right. This is the one series that they can maybe pull ahead and actually win and not be fumbling around in mediocrity. So I'm excited for this game. It's going to be a big one, I think. I agree as well. And the chippiness at the end was fun to watch. And these are why these two game series are going to be exciting because when the first game ends with chippiness, that's that's not setting the tone of I'm frustrated because we're losing 7-3, which is usually what you see in the NHL. And then you don't see that team again for two months. It's I'm frustrated that we're losing 7-3. So I'm going to set the tone and I'm going to play chippy because we're going to see you again in a couple days. So I'm, I'm really excited for that second game. I think the Avalanche need to have a statement. They need to need to make a statement they need to win they need to win big again and then you know it's off to a four-game series against the minnesota wild and ian yeah. cole and as you mentioned there's a good chance that they lose one of those games against minnesota because of their goaltending situation so you got to take care of business now um just in case you split that next one you don't want to be splitting five series in a row i have a question for you what after we finished with the san jose game they got four straight against the wild right Right. So there is no zero. There is no none of the above. Which of the four games is Ian Cole going to score in? The first, the second, the third, or the fourth? Oh, man. I'm going to say it's going to be the first. It's going to be the third first. Period. It's absolutely going to be the first. It's 100% going to be the first game. That's what the Avalanche do. Yeah. He's not no. He's not going to make the same bang that Cody McLeod did, though, again, in his first game against yeah. the Avalanche. No one will ever top that. So Fighting a legend. Doesn't matter what Ian Cole does, he's probably going to suck anyway. <laughs> hey um, So, yeah, time to wrap it up and get to our Mile High Sports 3 Stars of the Week. Right? It's that time? It's that time. Star number three. We're going to give it to Kiefer Shearwood just because, like I mentioned earlier, I love the energy he brought to that line. I like what he brought to the team. And he, he's been a guy that I think has been fighting and trying to be in this lineup. You know, I remember walking in after game one against St. Louis and before game two. It was morning skate of that day, and I saw Kiefer Shearwood and one of the coaches. I think it was the skills coach. I forget his name. Sean Hard. Uh, there you go. And he was, they were just sitting on the bench together one-on-one -on -one, just talking. Obviously, I have no idea what they were talking about, but I got to imagine it was how do I get in this lineup? What do I got to do to get some minutes and earn Jared Bednar's respect? And looks like he's done it. And I, like I said, I just love what I saw. I like to see more from him. I agree, and he also had an assist on one of those goals there, the one from Sam Gerrard. Uh, so shout-out to Kiefer Sherwood. He's already found the score sheet, 
and uh, Bednar talked about him the very first day before training camp began. He came in hungry and uh, ready to go. And, and this kind of reminds me of back in the day with the Nick Holdens and the Nate Gennons that came in and were supposed to be AHLers and ended up being permanent NHLers. Not that he's permanent, but he wants to be. Well, and it was a little bit sad, too, when he found out he would be playing. They kind of called that line into a little group, and Jared Benar starts talking to him, Tyson Jost and, and Pierre-Edward Bellemare. Meanwhile, Martin Kaut is like 10 feet out looking like you know an outcasted puppy just kind of stick-handling by himself. And then what <laughs> do we learn today? He gets sent to the Eagles. So, um, you know, got a feel for Martin Kaut a little bit. You are, but you know it's a, it's a harsh business. This is the way it works. I know Logan O'Connor is eventually going to get his look with the Avalanche, and the reality is that's just the way it is. Is you take a night off, you have a bad game, you're going to lose your spot, especially on such a good team. Star number two, we got to give that to Bowen Byram because not only handling himself well as an NHLer so far, but having a great impact out there. He's really been a, a positive, you know, guy to see. I like what I like what I've seen from Bo Byram, and obviously we have a lot more to see from him. But so far, so good. So far, so good, and he looks so confident with the puck. He. He played 21 minutes and 14 seconds yesterday, which led the Avalanche, which was great because obviously when you're up, you know, six three seven or six two seven two, it's it's fine to to play your younger defenseman and play you know your your other guys and give your top guys a rest. But with Bowen Byram, you can tell that by the day, by the game, he's getting more comfortable and more confident, and he's making the kind of plays that young defensemen a decade ago would have never dared to make. But that's the new age NHL. These players have a load of confidence, and he's only 19 years old, and uh, you know, he could very well be a large piece of a Stanley Cup winning team, if not this year, then next year. And that says a lot because he's got a long future ahead of him. Yeah, I mean, let's look directly at that cross-ice pass to Miko Rantanen for the goal. He put, I don't know if he meant to do it, but he put it right between the defender's legs, just put that thing on a string. I loved it. I mean, it was just, like you said, the confidence is amazing to see. So can't wait to see him kind of like... Saad get more comfortable in the NHL role. Not saying he's uncomfortable, but I just think we have obviously yet to see his ceiling. Um, star number one, got to give it to the guy who's leading the league in goals, right? You don't lead the league in goals and not get star number one from Hockey Mountain High. So we're going to give it to Miko Rantanen, loving what, he, what he's doing so far. He's on my fantasy team too, so I love it even more. Yeah, and uh, I remember I asked Miko yesterday after the game, I said, hey, what is it about this team that is able to score 15 goals over two home games? And he kind of looked and he went, oh, maybe it's the altitude. I don't know. I think the other teams are just sucking too much wind. And he just started (laughs) laughing. And I'm like, God, I love this guy. Uh, Great dude. Great quote. He's scoring nice goals. And uh, if you were worried about Miko Rantanen because he only had 45 points in 47 regular season games a season ago, and if the bubble hasn't convinced you that that he is a point-per-game, if not better, player, then his early season start should do exactly that. And I think moving forward, we're going to be talking a lot more about him as someone who is a little bit closer to Nathan McKinnon rather than just a complimentary piece. Yeah, and let's hope that that number one spot isn't in fact a jinx like you deemed it so last week. So we'll see how that goes in this next game against San Jose. So obviously... Yeah, you gave it to Burakovsky and he went out for a bunch of games and now he's back and he's doing well and he's setting up side for goal. So, you know, shout out to Nathan McKinnon for having to play the next few games without ranting. (laughs) Well, that'll do it for this podcast. Thanks for sticking around and, and listening. I hope you enjoyed it just as I hope you enjoy the Avalanche game tonight, right? I mean, it's not tonight, yep, tonight Thursday night. tonight when you're listening to it. 
I hate how that happens. And if you're listening to this and it's and it's Wednesday night still, God bless you. You're one of my best listeners. Yeah, we love you. We love you extra. So that being said, if you made it this far in the podcast, bless your heart. Hockey's for everyone. And we out you.